We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers wrapped up the first half of the season in an appropriately strange style with uh, Damian Jones on a 10-day contract as our starting center, some big-time Alfonso McKinney and Jared Dudley minutes, and just a an odd but strangely uh fun game even though the result didn't go the way that that i i hoped it would i actually enjoyed that game against sacramento uh but in this pod we're going to zoom out a little bit and now that we're done with the first half of the season what are our takeaways from that uh and talk about some of the things we'd like some of the things that we're concerned about or we'd like uh we think the lakers need to work on just uh have a lot of new pieces a lot of new ingredients guys that we have our first impressions of from a first half of a season with the lakers so darius there's so many ways this can go and it'll go in several of them take that whatever direction you want to go in so let's start with the good stuff right because we always want to start with the good stuff um i think that dennis schroeder's made a great impression with this team over the first half i think that he has shown his value um there's probably no bigger test testament than that than the four game losing streak where he essentially didn't play and then immediately when he comes back the lakers look like themselves again even though they didn't have anthony davis um uh, there are some things within his game i i would like to see improve or be a little bit different but you know he is he has reached a point in his career as well where this is likely the player that he is and that he's going to be there can be tweaks within his game and and subtle improvements but i don't think you're going to see this huge stylistic change but but i've been super impressed with him another guy obviously has just been lebron 
like he's played at an MVP level. And for me, if there were two big positive takeaways, it would be those two guys. Mike, I know we can ramble on about LeBron a lot. So so let me pivot to you. Would, would he have been on your list in terms of things to take away from the first half of the season? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I think that was one of those. It wasn't really a, a question mark as to if if the player was good, but it was just how is this going to fit in the starting lineup? Uh, what are is that going to take away some from what they did last year? Can he hold up defensively in uh, against some bigger players like those types of questions, which I, were more of a curiosity to me. But I think we all assumed the positive uh, with that before the season. And it's been nice uh, to see that confirmed. Right. Uh, Pete, how about your thoughts on that? Yeah, Schroeder. So I do think he's undergone a bit of a stylistic change um, in that just fitting in alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. And this is a work in progress. It's not done. But last night's game against Sacramento was more indicative of the type of player that he is, uh, that he's been right with Atlanta, with OKC, the number of touches, especially in the middle of the floor, whereas in the Lakers starting lineup, when everybody's healthy, you've obviously got the two superstars, but you've also got a third guy in Marcus Gasol where you can run offense through him. Right. And so the normal spots and the style of play with the Lakers, with a lot of ISOs, a lot of post-ups and kind of actions based off of those superstars. Schroeder has had to figure out where and when to do the things that he does. Right. You're right. Darius that he's essentially the guy that he's going to be. And he has a, a, great knowledge of what works for him and what doesn't. But I think the when and where is where he's really progressed over the course of this season. So just what, one more thought on, on Schroeder. I'd love to hear kind of the, how has he adjusted to a very different environment than he's used to playing in? I think the level of competitiveness within this, this team has been good, good for him. And I think that reflecting it back, I think it's been good for the Lakers that he is, up his level of competitiveness night to night in ways that necessarily wasn't there from that particular position on both sides of the ball, if that makes sense. So before the season, Mike, you had mentioned that we were all sort of optimistic about what he could be. And I was optimistic about his defense, for example, because of how he played in the playoffs. But I was also very much understanding that playoff intensity defense is going to be different than regular season intensity defense. And and I didn't watch a lot of regular season Oklahoma City games last year. And and so I can't speak to whether or not he was playing at this level defensively in terms of his commitment to that. But that's one thing that I thought in terms of the first half of the season, like, oh, this dude is competing every night defensively in a way that I think has real value to the team. And I think that that's some of that is a byproduct of what this team wants to achieve. But I think some of that is just inherent in him. And I like that symbiotic relationship between him and the team in, in that respect, Mike, you got something to add there? Yeah. So last year in OKC, it was a really competitive team. And I think a lot of that credit was given to Chris Paul and rightfully so. But Schroeder gets some of that, too, because that that's just who he is. He's always been like that. And I think that that was part of when he was in Atlanta and you didn't always hear the most positive sort of league wide reports about him. Part of that is just because he he was so feisty and so competitive and that team wasn't good you know, in certain spots. And, and like that kind of stuff can come out. There's a little that's where a little bit of like the Rondo you know, comp uh, can sneak in. And I personally like that, especially on a good team. But 
what, in addition to how he started the season defensively, and I think that was clear for all of us to see, we the Lakers played Chicago pretty early on, and Billy Donovan, of course, is the coach there now. And I just had happened to be on one of the pregame Zooms and asked him a question about Schroeder, and he was just going on and on about his defense and his competitiveness. And so like genuinely, he wasn't, it wasn't like when he was just trying to blow some smoke or anything. And that was informative to me too, that his basic thing was, yeah, look, Dennis wanted to start last year. He, he wants to be a player like he, that he has those aspirations, but even when he was coming off the bench, he always brought it for us on defense. He always competed. So he might like, he might say in the preseason for the Lakers, Hey, I, you know, I want to be starting, but if he's not, that's not going to impact his competitiveness because that's who he is. And that that's was right. Informative. Yeah, that was informative for me. And so is how glowingly Vogel speaks of him, right? Like Vogel's a defensive guy. And to me, Vogel is a whole podcast I would love to get into because this is a fascinating year to look at the team through Vogel's eyes in that last year's team I thought was really built toward his strengths, right? Vogel's a defensive guy. He's he's right near the top, if not at the top, of the best defensive head coaches in the NBA. And from a, a, you know, a broader standpoint, we always talk about LeBron, AD, and great defense. That's a pretty formidable combination that won us an NBA title last season, right? But I thought last season's team, you had a Dwight Howard instead of a Montrez Harrell, and Darius and I are going to get into some Trez over the course of the next few pods at the very least. Um, but it's a different type of guy. Well, Schroeder fits right in with that. Like, Schroeder's Frank Vogel's type of guard defensively. He's going to heat up the ball. He's going to get skinny and fight over the screens. He's going to put on a ton of ball pressure. He's going to get deflections. He's going to stunt down and he's going to compete every play fly out to his closeouts. And this Lakers team, this season to me is like a three act play. And we just finished act one and act one is a lot of getting familiar, uh, figuring out the when and where of incorporating the different different guys and whatnot. Uh, but in terms of stylistically, Dennis Schroeder and Frank Vogel are peanut butter and jelly def- on the defensive end in particular. Uh, and I've loved how Vogel's, you know, or how Schroeder's found his spots on the offensive end. It's, it's fascinating to me that you started specifically with Schroeder too, right? Because it's a the fact that he stood out the most in this first half of the season where I, you know, almost, uh, almost to a fault, am going to go general and in like kind of big picture. And Kuzma actually had a pretty good quote last night that summarized everything uh, that, that like that just that Darius tells me something in its own right, that shooter was top of mind for you. Yeah. He's just been one of those guys where as a new player, and we talked a lot about this with LeBron and AD over the last two, well, two seasons, right? It is getting to watch a new player every single night and getting an appreciation for what they are, the, the essence of them as, as a player. And, and when you talk about players as great as LeBron and AD, a lot of that is, is obvious, but for someone like me, and I think this is true for, for Pete and for you as well, Mike, is that those obvious things can get glossed over from afar, right? And you sort of take them for granted because they're obvious. But when you see them every day and and that intentionality that goes into why they achieve at that level and all of the details that go into the execution that make everything obvious that I appreciate that stuff so much more when I when 
every single day you like you get a new glimpse into what makes that player what they are. And Schroeder's not at those guys' levels, but it's a, it's it's a similar thing for me. And Pete, maybe here's where this can tie into the bigger, most significant part of this and why this could matter even moving forward. Maybe Schroeder is the one guy that you see in that best lineup when when things really get down to it. So when you're going AD at the five, you're going to LeBron. Uh, at this point, you can have a conversation about Kuzma or you know, sort of versus KCP, Caruso, and then Schroeder. And guess what? All of those guys were on the team last year except for Schroeder. And that's not that's to right. say that Marcus Gasol can't be out there in spots. Uh, Keith has certainly proven that he can be out there in spots. Uh, you know, I don't think Wes Matthews has shown right yet at this point mm-hmm. um, that he's going to be in one of those lineups. But that shooter is the is the guy. And, and by the way, I'd say the same thing about Harold. I don't think Harold's going to be in um, those lineups when mm-hmm. you have LeBron and AD in that small ball group. But so shooter does that. That is where to me he kind of he fits this, and that's that's what is most important out of this first half. Like stay healthy for the most part. We know that AD wasn't able to, but at least it's not a major thing. We think he can come back soon after the break. Um, everybody else is going to be available. Um, you would think when they come back, and uh, they've got you know they're not like far out even of the one seed. You know, like big picture, everything's fine in that context. Mm-hmm. They got what they needed to get accomplished in the first half. That's right. And uh, and Schroeder was a big part of that, right? And I, I've really enjoyed uh, his integration into the team. Now, uh, this is more, the fruits of this will bear out more long-term. But prior to the season, one of the things that I really wanted to see in this pre-All-Star break portion of the season, where even the Lakers, we, Mark had some quotes about this, Vogels talked about this, using a lot of first half of games in particular as practice. And part of that and that development is THT. THT got some run in this first half. We saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of THT's game. I am... There, he's got so many holes in his offensive game that in some ways that bolsters how remarkable he is at driving to the basket because the defense Darius knows exactly what he's going to do. They're totally fine with him. He's got to develop a pull up or a step back jumper that when they're the defense is always retreating to the basket. The scouting report is out on him. They know that he's going to attack the basket, that he's not as much of a threat as a jump shooter. They know on the defensive end that he's going to get lost, especially off of the ball. All of these young 20-year-old type of things and mistakes, we've seen those bear out throughout. I'm still struck by the ability of a player that age who's really got one thing that he can do on the offensive end at at a high level still being able to do that. That's very rare. We saw it in the preseason. We we saw it in the G League a bit. But seeing that against NBA competition, Darius, they know he's going to drive to the basket, and he's still able to get there, even with all of the holes in his game. Now, he has to do a lot of film work, a lot of skill, skill work to improve his jump shot. I'm not saying that this is the finished product, but his go-to thing, the thing that he is the foundational piece, he's got something there, man, with his ability to go to the basket. If he can do that when the defense knows that that's what he's going to do. The biggest compliment I can give to THT is that he's shown so much talent-wise and ability-wise that... I forget he's only 20. And so his, so the things he does to frustrate me uh-huh. actually Which, bother me. 
Right. And and, and so because when you put it into context, the mistakes that he makes are totally on par with the types of mistakes he should be making for a player of his experience level. The fact is, though, is that he performs above his experience level in other ways, often enough that you forget he's not actually experienced. Right. And and so that's probably the highest compliment that I can pay him. There are footwork things and angle things and and finishing tactics that he has inside the paint that belie his age, belie his his experience level. And the point that you make, Pete, is is so important that and I'm not going to compare him to this player, but Zion Williamson is a player who gets to his left hand anytime he wants right? JJ Reddick had a great quote on his pod where he said, yeah, I think we'd all love to take 15 shots at the basket with our dominant hand, right? We'd all love to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Very few can make it happen. Very few can actually accomplish that because they're not good enough. They're not talented enough. They're not explosive enough. They just don't have that talent level. Now, THC is obviously not as talented as Zion Williamson, but that same point that you make is very much on that same lineage, right? It's like, like it's in that same tree. It's, it's, it's a branch of that in that everyone knows that he's going to drive. Everyone knows he's going to try to finish with, with his right hand. The, the scouting report is out that he's going to try to get to that backhand layup, right. Or, or that that's in his package and, and, and is a very important part to, to his finishing ability. And guess what? He's doing that anyway. He's knocking guys off. Guys are now trying to flop against him because he is strong and, and and he is a bullish player around the basket and around the restricted area. And so all of those things speak to the fact that it's super important that he got these these opportunities because the Lakers do need to grow him for the second half of the season and hopefully beyond that. Some of that stuff is just pure physical gift also. And it it makes you think of LeBron, what Reddick said, how many times in his 18 years has LeBron just decided he's getting to the cup and he's finishing in the finals, right? In any game that he needs to, he's got that. And there's never been somebody that's been physically able to stop him. Now that's not necessarily about his, the way that he reads the defense, which is also brilliant and the way that he manipulates the game and the way that he um, plays defense, all that kind of stuff. That's just part of a, I am my body composition of, and my is, uh, is unique enough that you cannot stop my a move. You just can't do it. And that's part of what THG has a little bit of a, of a, a taste of that with his long arms, with his, with his body, uh, with his strength, with his quickness, like with his handle, those are the things that enable him to get that stuff done. And where I see this going though, and, and again, trying to think big picture with the postseason, he's not at the point where in a playoff situation, he's in a, to me, in the regular rotation, he is a, totally agree. right. He's Pete. He's a, okay, we need, we need somebody to get downhill to the bucket. It can't just be LeBron that's going to do this. Maybe Schroeder is it like let's let's call on THT for kind of like Vogel did against Houston in games three and four. Let's call on him. Let's get ten minutes out of him. We know he's not scared. We know he's going to get some shots up. We know he's going to put some pressure on the defense. Right? It's a it's a great change up to have. Uh, and and you're also then in those minutes likely against second units. You know you're not relying on him to. You're not worried that he's going to miss. X rotations guys that are going to leave open threes that are going to change your game. 
Well, he's a specialist, like out of the bullpen, right, Mike? Like he is the guy who has the hundred mile per hour fastball, but is a little bit wild, right? And so here's your power hitter. And all right, I'm bringing in my power pitcher right now to to throw to this dude and say, can you actually get your bat on this high fastball? Right. And maybe you can, but we're betting in this specific situation, you you can't. And I think that you're exactly right, Mike, that in the big scheme of things, he moves down the pecking order some. And Vogel is very much likely to lean on his veteran guys and guys who have been there before. But that's also why this experience matters, because Vogel himself is now getting data points on him where can i trust him where is he still a little bit iffy and then when we get to those specialized moments he knows now or he's going to and he's going to continue to learn more about whether or not this is the right time for him he's got a lot of uh skill work to do but that's more off-season type stuff but he's got a ton of stuff you can't teach right and that these minutes and I, I thought it was especially important in this first act of the three act play for him to get that. And I agree with you guys that he's probably not part of the playoff rotation, especially with Vogel's uh, propensity to I, I'm going to have guys out there that aren't making defensive mistakes and is going to lean on in his veterans more. One guy this year that I thought crossed over into that veteran status that I, one last guy that I want to hit. And then I would love if you guys have anybody that we haven't touched on that you've liked, because we'll talk about some of our concerns in the second half. But uh, Kyle Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma has shown remarkable adaptability. I call him Kuz the chameleon. And he is. He's played with great energy in a quick turnaround in an environment where that's been tough for a a number of guys, some of whom we'll get into in the second half of this pod. But his arc in terms of the style of player that he is has changed so much. And then in this Sacramento game that we just saw, he's still got that 25-point dude in him when he wants to, right? Um, That adaptability, Darius, is rare, but it also speaks to how people in their mid twenties in particular, when we talk about them as though they are finished products, uh, that that's not always the case, but Kuz's ability to read a situation. I think this goes back to his college and even high school days, right? He was like the 11th man at the university of Utah when he first came in, he was a redshirt freshman came in and was just like a deep bench guy. And he figured out like, Hey, this is the type of player that I need to be to be successful on this team. Then he comes out of nowhere as a scorer, which he wasn't supposed to be coming out of college with the Lonzo and BI teams. And then over these last year and a half has really adjusted his game to fit what the team needs. And he's doing all of this after he signed his contract extension. I want to point out all of the hard play. This is not just a dude that's grinding for a contract. This is a guy that it's in, internally motivated to, that this means something to him to crash the weak side board, to be a good a quality defender, right? And just compete on a night-to-night basis. You've always been a big Kuz guy, Darius. I'd love to hear your extended thoughts on, on what you've seen from him in the first half of the season. So let me open it up by saying about Kuz, Please, media members, stop asking Kuz about his role and how happy he is with his role and how he's adjusting to to his role. And this is not a story to me. Kyle Kuzma 
has shown us now that he's just going to do whatever is asked of him and he's going to play hard while doing it and outside expectations seemingly don't mean as much to Kuz as what his internal motivations are in order to be a high level contributing player. And when he signed his contract and he talked about the idea of there are things that I'm going to get in Los Angeles that I cannot get by making three, four, five million dollars more a year in an Atlanta or in this other place. His head is in the right place is is what I should say. And the thing that I've been most impressed about with Kyle Kuzma is his adaptability defensively, Pete, even more so than offensively. Players are going to struggle to adapt at times to like, oh, I wanted this many shots and now I don't get this many shots. And and how can I try to improve a certain amount offensively so that I get those opportunities back, right? Like, okay, well, you want me playing on the wing? Okay, let me work on my pick and roll decision-making and and how can I tighten up my handle in order to get more on-ball opportunities? And what Kuz decided was, you know what? I'm going to be as sharp as I can possibly be defensively. And that's going to give me the opportunities to be in the game. And it's going to give me the touches that I'm going to get. And now they bring in another point guard. We just went on and on about Dennis Schroeder, right? Who is now taken over as a third option offensively. The option that Kuz, as late as last year's playoffs going in, when LeBron was a site, Kuz has to be our third best player. Those were pegged for Kyle Kuzma. Those were his opportunities. And now he's just like, okay, well... I'm just going to crash the offensive glass. I'm going to get touches that way. I'm going to get putbacks. I'm going to run the lane harder. And the Sacramento game, Pete, to me, was also a thing where not only did he have the 25-point game in him, but every X-out rotation, every time he needed to rotate down, every decision he was making out of help situations from a defensive perspective, I thought he was correct on first viewing. I know you go back and watch the tape a second time. Or, he had a or couple a mistakes time. on healed running around screens. Like we gave up a layup to, uh, you know, we set that screen and both KCP and Kuz went toward Buddy. But yes, by and large, Kuz in a game where we played pretty poorly on the defensive end, he's a guy that's become a dependable defender. He has become someone where I trust his decision-making defensively. And this is in stark contrast to a guy like we just talked about THT. Right. And in the second half of the pod, we might talk about a guy who is a veteran who has more experience than Kyle Kuzma. Right. In Montrez Harrell, who I have not seen the same level of instantaneous defensive decision making that you would want at a championship level. Now, credit to Kuz. He's been in this system. Right. And and he knows he understands what's needed of him. But Mike. In talking about Kuzma, because I know that last year you've talked about this on on the pod a lot, right? That people would sort of be in your ear from around around the league, like what's up with with your boy boy Kuz, and you would push back then. So, a have you heard similar things this year, maybe about like where Kuzma's at developmentally, and and what's your thoughts on him from a big picture perspective? The the critics have certainly quieted, but. Well, to go back to where you started with, I'm pretty sure I'm a media member who was asked Kuz about his role. 
um, including last night, including the first question. So we can. Well, Darius is telling you to stop it. Yeah, we can get into that a little if you want. I, like what's what's, fasc- <laughs> what's fascinating about Kuz last night. Here's here's what I I don't remember exactly what I asked him, but basically, so last night, right? No LeBron, no AD. You know that he's going for at least twenty points. This is what always happens. And he goes for 25 on 10 of 20 from the field. He hits four threes. He still manages to get 13 rebounds, um, five of them on the offensive end. Assisted turnover is even three to three. But so that's the that's him playing the role of what he sought his first couple of years. And he explicitly stated and, he, you know, he that was where he wanted to grow to, like what many others have. The other night with LeBron playing right back into the support role. So that's that's like to me, it's hard to ask him about his game without contextualizing the fact that he's doing a totally different thing on Wednesday than what he did on Tuesday. And I think it's it's a for him to I, I know I was going to answer the question, right? He's going to he's going to basically say, look, I've just this is just me now. I can do both. You know, I, those are the kind of quotes that I want coming out of him so that it's clear that he's this guy, he is, as Pete said, a chameleon in a sense that he can bounce back and forth to a degree that not a lot of NBA players can. There aren't a lot of bench players that can truly take their game up uh, to the next level. So Darius, go ahead and then I'll, I'll get into some more cool stuff. No, the only thing I was going to say is, is the framing of his role to me is more like, are you happy? Right? Like, Oh yeah, that that's kind, stupid. That, yeah. Like that kind of framing is what I'm pushing back against. Word, His yeah. role in general about the the like tell me what goes into your mindset when you have to do X one night and and be a second night. That's interesting because I think you're going to get insight into player mindset that way. The you don't want, you don't want the like I don't want the stirring. Are you, the, are you not happy that you're starting like that? Guy? Well, like I don't want the stirring the pot of so Kuz, you know, you were supposed to be the third star. Like, how are you oh, adjusting yeah. Yeah. now to being a bench player whose points and rebounds, like all your box score stats are down, right? Because I feel like there is framing of that more from a national perspective that irks me because if you watch this team every day you see the commitment that he's putting in to be a complete basketball player a winning basketball player for a team that's expected to win the championship and and you would stop asking questions about how he feels about things if you watched his commitment to actually doing those things and and that's that that was more where i was coming from so thanks for giving me the opportunity to clarify that Good. Thankful. Now that I know you're not coming after me, um, I can I can address the actual question. Uh, so the, the the analogy I always make for something like this is if you watch PTI, which is you know has always been one of my favorite sports shows, and it's Will Bonin and Kornheiser, and these guys have to weigh in on every sport, right? Every topic. So when they get to the Lakers, and you're one of the three of us, they're going to say something about the Lakers that we're going to be able to be like, eh, uh-huh. not really. Like, oh well, actually. And for example, they're going to take Kyle Kuzma. They're going to see that he has a good game one night. They're going to see that the rest of the night he's averaging 11 points on 44% from the field. And those are his counting stats. And there's just no possible way, right, that they're going to be able to properly contextualize the fact that he's also really ripping it up on defense unless they call somebody like us. And, and Wilbon sometimes does that, right? So, so like, that's, that's great. But it's – you really do – and I think Laker fans have gotten to this point with Kuzma where – 
Um, it's obvious, of course, if you watch every night, but most people can't watch every night. And so that's where he's not like, and I think Kuz to an extent himself was concerned with that the previous couple of years. He's like, don't you guys see like why? And this is what, this was my thing that I was obsessed with last year. Like, and I think I was right there with Kuz. Don't you guys see what I'm doing to help this team win? Like, why do you keep talking about my, uh, my percentage or my, this or my counting stats? Like, I, dude, I'm playing 20 minutes a game and I'm getting 11 shots. And guess what? This year he's getting 10 shots. He's taking one fewer shot this year than last year. Uh, the difference, the obvious difference has been his rebounding, right? He's up. He was 4.5 rebounds last year, this year, 6.7. That's a massive gap and no additional playing time. And that does reflect that he's just crashing the old glass and maybe a bit, a, a bit of like, okay, Dwight's not there in the second unit or something, you know, so there's, but, but he's, so he has made some leaps there, but Pete coming in from the outside, you, you really wouldn't know it as well. It's just, I think it's, it's comfortable that now he knows that the Lakers know that Vogel knows that LeBron knows that like that, that stuff is good. That stuff is set and he can just play. He seems very comfortable in his skin this year in the varying roles and that adaptability is a skill in and of itself. And having players that can do that when it comes to the playoffs and the shape-shifting from this team plays this style of play to this team plays another, Kyle Kuzma is a guy who could play against anybody. And that, uh, developing into that kind of guy and having that skill is just in, enormously important come the most important games. Can I just speak to one play that he made? And I think this speaks to the comfort in in his skin point, Pete, is he grabbed a defensive rebound and Schroeder was right there for the outlet. <clears throat> Left-hand wing, quick outlet to Schroeder. Schroeder could have filled middle lane then at that point and Kuz could have ripped out wide. He took a dribble, he looked at Schroeder, and then he said, I'm taking this myself. So Schroeder filled outside lane. Kuz then saw the opening. He saw healed was lone man back. He attacked, healed, a little bit of Euro, left-hand finish over the top, and one bucket. There's a bunch of context there, right? Like LeBron's out. Maybe he sees Schroeder more as a peer. Maybe all kinds of stuff. But this idea of like, no, I got this. Like, I'm capable. I have this skill level in me as well. And I can do this on this specific play. And, and that's going to be fine. That sort of thing comes with experience and it comes with a comfort level within the context of your role, what the coaches expect of you, and then confidence in yourself that you're going to be able to execute. And there has now been this confluence of all of those things for Kyle Kuzma this year. And, and it's really been great to see. And I'm just happy for him. Yeah, he's been it's been really great to see his development from coming into the league to getting to this point. Just a really unique uh, career arc that he has so far. Any anything you guys uh, before we go to break, anything that we haven't hit or anybody, anything that you've liked in particular about this first part of the season that we haven't addressed yet? Yeah, so I would just say the way that Frank Vogel summarized it, because I asked him or somebody I can't remember if it was me. Somebody else asked him about the first half of the season and his basic point was very confident in what we can accomplish this year. I'm not concerned with the recent losses. And he specifically cited something that you guys mentioned earlier. This season is a marathon. It's, it's looking at a bunch of combinations. It's like what you said about practice be like that. That's what they are really doing. He knows what he has. He knows what his best lineups are. He knows that he doesn't have to play them right now. And while the, you know, while the, the rest of the league may be talking about how great Utah's start was, 
by the way, um, they have lost three or four, as I thought might happen. Like that, <laughs> the way that I, I still think that he he's like, okay, line us up against whoever you want in the postseason, and I feel good. That's that's Vogel's sort of message, and uh, you know, Kuz reiterated that. Like he mentioned the short the shortest offseason in history, all of the vets on this team, the injuries, and it sounds like excuses, but it's really just context. And then uh, just the no fans part, like that to me, again, still at, at Staples Center, that's been the biggest reason above all else that they have been flat um, on a lot of nights. But all of that, I think, was summed up and it's all relatively obvious. But like they're they're they know what they have, Darius, like they're they're feeling just fine. They are. And I mentioned him earlier, but I'm going to mention him again before we go go into break. LeBron James man, just LeBron James. He has been on a level that honestly I wasn't sure what speed and what tempo he was going to bring in to this first half of the season. And um, I wouldn't say I'm surprised, right? Because he can do whatever he wants and we're going to trust that he understands things. But in the big picture, over the course of the full first half of the season, his commitment to defense, his commitment to integrating the new players, his leadership on and off the court, like, his media sessions to me are a clinic in how to lead a contending yes. team through the ups and downs of a season in which you're trying to repeat, but really under unprecedented circumstances. And right. this is a first time for him as well. No one has had a pandemic season before. No one has had a full season of no fans. No one has had any of this in order to try to navigate on top of the fact that you're trying to repeat and on top of the fact that you play for the Los Angeles Lakers and you are still the marquee player within the entire National Basketball Association. This is a wholly unique situation. And I think the way that he has navigated this as a leader has has been sort of the thing that the Lakers as a team and as an organization has been able to latch on to as as their sort of North Star within the context of these first 37 games. Yeah, everybody knows that the Lakers haven't played their best basketball of what they're capable of. And so one thing I've been really looking for on the melts is just the personal interactions. Are guys frustrated with each other? What's the general mood? And one thing that's really remarkable to me is they're in very good spirits, right? Like even in this stretch, they're laughing and joking around before the games. They're like, what ha I think it was AC got his headband knocked off and Trez like made sure he retrieved it. And uh, there's all sorts of these like really kind of caring interactions between e each other that that is just a, a remarkable foundation to have of which I think LeBron is a huge part of cultivating that environment. The play where LeBron and AC both went for the rebound and LeBron just they crushed. crushed him. He crushed him. <laughs> and then AC fell to, to the ground and both of those guys were just sort of laughing. Like, Bron held the ball back a little bit and was just like kind of waiting for Caruso to get up and like, is he okay? But Caruso's got a smile on his face knowing that LeBron just totally wiped him out there and Braun saw that he was all right. So he's just like, okay, I'm going to go up court now. But both of them had that little sly grin, uh -huh. like, stuff like that is yeah. there. And it's wonderful. I asked Caruso about that and he was just like, yeah, that hurt. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like LeBron is as strong as he looks, you know, if not stronger. And, and I, Caruso's, Caruso's not a small dude. Caruso's no. Six, six, he's cut. He's got like the Sanui type muscle, you know, 
Yeah, I like that he had the the great like take a charge posture where you put the you know the arms up and got your make sure your head doesn't bang on the ground right like he does that so instinctually that getting run into by LeBron automatically he's like all right I'm in my taking a charge pose all right we're gonna take a break when we come back not everything was was great right we're 24 and 13 we've lost I think six of eight games um, and uh, we're gonna hit a few of the things that we're either concerned about or things that the Lakers need to work on in the second half of the season. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Join. So above all else, um, Anthony Davis's health, uh, I, I feel like it's worth bringing up 
how dominant he was in last season's playoffs, right? That was a, a historic run on that type of usage, the types of shots that he was making. LeBron... LeBron has triple threat game, but that is not what he specializes in. But Anthony Davis at his best is a triple threat master who's also capable of wreaking havoc on the rim, right? And that's something that he didn't do much of in the first half of the season, even prior to his injury. There's a lot of jump shots. Uh, the His dunk rate was way down. He wasn't rolling to the basket that much. And that speaks to the degree of him kind of dealing with a number of, of things being a little bit banged up and whatnot. So AD's health, but also just the overall uh, fatigue, right? We've said so much, reiterated the points that LeBron makes, that Vogel makes about the season being a marathon. Well, the Lakers ran a marathon and then they had 71 days off and now they're being asked to run another marathon. How fast is your marathon going to be? And seeing guys like KCP in particular, like struggling physically, a guy who's been so reliable for us that even in his worst moments was always running the floor and all that had been, been struggling. Right. And Keith has talked about them being mentally exhausted. Mike, m one of my biggest concerns is the idea that this is going to magically go away at some point, but the second half of the season is almost as long as the first half was, which as you've pointed out in the schedule pod that we did is unusual. There's probably going to be another dip in which we see them have a similar stretch that they just had right now. Um, but that's the wear and tear of the cumulative effect of the last couple of years is one of my biggest concerns. And I don't know how to quantify that. That's not an area of specialty or expertise or insight, but I, I don't think we should assume that like, oh, KCP is going to be fine come playoff time, right? AD is going to be fine come playoff time. I Just curious on your thoughts on the overall effect of the back-to-back -back seasons like this. I think you nailed it. I think that's by far the number one concern about repeating. It's not another team. It's not, uh, it's not matchups. It's not rotations. It's not how a certain guy is playing. It's that mentally, physically, there has never been a, a season like this on top of what only the Lakers and the heat went through and to a, a two week difference, only the nuggets and the Celtics went through. And I think at that point, when you're getting that extra month, for those teams that didn't make it to the conference semis, I like I or the conference finals, I, I think that's enough of a re like that extra month makes all the difference in the world to me. Yeah. And that to me is where you mentioned KCP. Uh, I think that so as much as Kuz has looks like he's recharged and has been just fine and he's a little younger, he's 25, you know, even that, uh, like Caruso, Caruso is now 27. And as Frank Vogel has said, he operates at 100% when he's on the court. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how, how about his motor and his engine revving up that far? We've already seen uh, AD um, kind of you know physically struggling to deal with it. And it makes what Darius uh, focused on a bit ago with LeBron all the more remarkable. Here's the guy that somehow is the least affected in the NBA. It's just, it's just uh, that part is like we have to give that a whole separate level of appreciation. But... Um, but that is my concern. And I, as, as you just alluded to, Pete, in the schedule pod, we talked about how they're not just playing like 15 games after the All-Star break in, in which they have the one seed and they can kind of coast for the last week. Like they're, they're going to have to play 30-plus uh, games here. And that's going to be really interesting to see how they continue to get through it. I'm still not betting against them, but that is the first concern. And I'll, uh, Darius, if you want to maybe weigh in on that, and then, I'll, Pete, I'll pull out a, a point about Anthony Davis um, after we hear from Darius about this part. Yeah, I just think that, Pete, you nailed it within the context of 
I think that there's an assumption when you see a team reach a certain level that that level is always in their grasp, right? right. And um, Lakers fans are super familiar with this idea, and I think they're probably even more preconditioned to believe that that's true if they live through the Kobe and Shaq years, right? Especially the 2001 champ championship where they basically demolished the entire league during the playoffs after having a so-so regular season. And my position is, is almost always none of that is a given. None of it is a guarantee that you're going to be able to reach your ceiling. The ceiling is the ceiling for a reason. It's the best possible outcome. And I do not think we should be making assumptions that they will reach their ceiling. Do I think it's more likely or less likely? I don't know. Like, I think I'm somewhere in the middle at this point. The 80s, the 80 injury stuff is a bit of a concern to me, especially because it's a lower leg issue for a player who I think was struggling with his conditioning as much as anything else, right? Like, like he did not have the same pop that we have been used to seeing from Anthony Davis from a physical standpoint. And that's not going to fix itself when you have a lower leg injury and you're not able to run, you're not able to get in like better shape, right? It'd be one thing if he could be doing cardio right now, but it's like even the cardio that he's going to be doing is going to be light at this point. And so Mike, I'll let you get back to, to your point there, but, but I do think it's important that we sort of reassess where this team, not what their ceiling is, but how likely it is that they're going to get there. How much that matters, I think, is a different conversation. But I think that in and of itself, that conversation is important. Yeah, so Davis is directly related, of course, Pete, to that number one concern that we just laid out. And there's one statistic, I think, that probably speaks to it more than anything else, and that's free throw attempts. His first year at the Lakers, he got to the line 8.5 times a game, hit 7.2 of them. That's a, it's about 85%. This year, 5.7 attempts per game. And uh, let's see, yeah, and he makes four of them, which is 71%. And that right there is maybe yeah. the difference in pop yeah. uh, and explosiveness and understandably fatigue, right, going through the finals. So he, it's still good enough to be an all-star starter. Like that's where that's how incredible his talent is. He's still at you know twenty two eight one uh, three assists of like over a block, almost two blocks. So he's still like he he at that level still good enough for the Lakers to win the title. Still good enough, but but him playing at All NBA first team level like he just destroyed the bubble. Uh, that's where teams couldn't get more than a game or two off of the Lakers. And what are we going to see now? Here's the the pizza. Throw this part back at you. The fact that they do have the thirty games. And AD has had a month off or will have had maybe he then like, he'll have the ramp up by the time the playoffs come where he's gotten some rest, which basically nobody else has. And now he can get himself up into that God mode. Like that's, right. that's the optimistic side of it. Right. Uh, the, the, and, and so I, I don't know how that all is going to turn out, but that's, that's, a, that's right there on my list next to sort of the overall uh, piece. So helping him get to that point is more, there's a certain point where like superstars, they're the only people on the planet that can do that. And the highest levels of basketball are like, it ain't about Vogel. It ain't about a system. It ain't about it's can your guys who can reach God mode, can they get there? Right. And that's something that helping him get there. So I really hope that he doesn't feel pressured to come back too soon. Um, I, I trust the team to, 
make sure that he's feeling good and that I think your point about conditioning is is a great point Darius like Draymond didn't name somebody earlier but do you remember he was talking about like there's a superstar in the league that we played him and he's never been out of shape the whole time and this year he's out of shape he's not quite ready to to get to that point so regarding AD what is the approach you'd like to see them take to the second half of the season to help him make sure he can get to those points where the it's a game between superstars and he's one of the guys that can can get there. Yeah, I think that a certain amount of, of caution is going to be needed. I also think that, and this is a tricky line, and so I don't want to throw this out there as some idea where I'm trying to push push him back, but at some point, right, Caution needs to defer to, like, is there, do we still have enough runway for him? Right. Yeah, there's a push and pull, right? There's yes. a, there's a too much, but there's also a not enough. Yes, and if there's not enough, then I think the, the organization has to recognize that as well and recalibrate internally about what's needed from the rest of the guys on the roster in order to try to compensate for that, right? That said... I do think that getting him into the best physical condition that he can be for an extended playoff run is probably the chief goal for the second half of the season for the Lakers because they will need Anthony Davis near or at his absolute best in order to win a championship this year. The I think that the path to get to a championship is going to be more difficult this season for the Lakers. I think that there is um, a team or two that is stronger from the East than any team that was there last season, including the Bucks and including the Heat, who I thought were a very game opponent for the bubble. But Brooklyn is out there lurking. Philly is out there lurking. I think Miami is still going to have a second half run in them where they may position themselves as as a real contender again, depending on what happens at the trade deadline. And the Clippers in Utah are real threats this season in the Western playoffs. And that's two teams. Whereas last year, I thought that and who knows what happens with Phoenix and who knows what happens with mm-hmm. Denver, right? And so I think that the top has the potential to be much more cluttered for the West as well. And to navigate that gauntlet, the Lakers are going to need Anthony Davis at or near his peak. And um, we'll see if that's possible. Like Mike was saying earlier, we don't know how that's going to play out, but that should be at or among the chief priorities and and should be listed as the top bullet on the list of concerns. A hundred percent. And along similar lines, right? I was talking earlier about KCP and his struggling when he's been so physically dependent, right? Good game or bad game. He's somebody you could always rely on to give what he has. And there was a moment in last night's game against Sacramento where he like, he took a knee, he was fighting over a screen or something. And he took a knee to the quad. It was one of those like, and you just saw his body language was like, Oh, I'm so beat up. <laughs> like I'm so ready for this break to, to come up. And I've never seen him kind of react like that. Um, and in conjunction with, I want to move beyond the fatigue and, and the turnaround point. Um, my biggest concern with the roster right now, I don't think that Wes Matthews is a rotation player on a, on a playoff team anymore or on a championship contender anymore. Um, 
his we talked about being a scoring threat and and the importance of that he's really struggled on the offensive end now him and Keith have been similar in that uh they, it's they've had a rough part they both got pulled out of the rotation early on to put THT in um with Keith and he started to turn it on Keith's 31 years old and there's enough with Keith when that when he does turn it on it's like oh it's there it, he just and and we've seen it over the last four or five games or so Keith started to kind of wake up and be that guy like, Oh, that's the guy that I've, I'm a big fan of that, you know, that you guys can attest to. Um, Wes, I see Wes trying hard. I see Wes uh, on the defensive end. He's competing his ass off. He's scrambling around. He's uh, in a bad way with his shot. I don't know if that's temporary. There just hasn't been enough over the first half of the season for me to go like that guy still got it to a degree. Mike, I, I am, yeah. I've been a little skeptical on him since the beginning. Can you, sure. can you talk me out of that? Well, but no, no, but I don't think I, I don't think I need to. And I don't think that, I think that you can't play that many guys anyway in a real postseason mm-hmm. rotation. And he right now is the 10th or even we could probably say if a THG has surpassed him into being the 10th guy, he's the 11th guy. And so on a same thing on a certain night, like, does that mean that he, you can't put him in at all? No, but I, and I get what your point is. Like you want a guy that you on that spot on the roster that you can put in to certain matchups. Um, but my concern or lack thereof is more that, you know, you're, you've got KCP, you've got Schroeder, you've got Caruso, um, you've got THT when you need him. And then you have Kuz who you can play more in that role, like sliding over to guard some guys. And, and so, so that's also, I, I just don't, I don't think that you need Matthews. If I can broaden that to why I think Matthews is particularly important because he's supposed to be a shooter. Yeah. And this is something that I knew Darius and I, I knew you, you want to expound on this too. So if KCP, I, I think of places where we can experience critical failure in a playoff series. That's where this comes down to. It's like we can be great all year. And if you run into a bad matchup or the wrong guys get cold at the wrong time that we saw during that four game stretch where both AD and Dennis were out, there was a we experienced a critical failure in our shot creation. And all of a sudden we went from a team that could coast to uh, when we don't have AD and another starter, we're like, zero and six. But in every other game, we're 24 and seven. Right but you experience a critical failure in some basketball aspect where Darius, I'm concerned that if KCP can't get back to, and that's not to say he can't, but if KCP doesn't get back, Wes is our other shooter, our other guy that can be reliable. Every other guy, it's a three point shooter on this team. It's, it comes and goes. Cause that isn't the primary part of his game. Kuz is his versatility. Caruso is a great defender who can make those shots. Keith is a guy who has a great all around game and brings a degree of physicality, but none of those guys are snipers. So I could foresee a circumstance in the playoffs where KCP's struggling. West doesn't have it. And nobody else is really dependable enough to 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 be worried about right and that's the the part where all of that pressure that lebron and ad can put on the rim where if we are to lose a series i would almost guarantee you that our lack of three-point shooting will be a central storyline of that and that's why i think that finding somebody for wes's spot quote unquote or wes turning it around which is possible because he's a veteran and he had a quick turnaround too but that's the point where when i look at this roster and and what we need that's the part that stands out the most to me for those reasons wes is the avatar for the lakers shooting struggles for me 
Mm -hmm. And so he was brought in to be the Danny Green replacement. Now, if you go through our text threads, which we're not going to give any of the listeners access to, uh, they would see some debates friendly between Pete, Mike, and I about one said Danny Green. (laughs) That said, Danny Green was respected by defenses. Now, that respect would wax and wane to a certain extent because every single time, except for the finals, right? Except for the finals and maybe part of the conference finals too, but he had gotten hurt in the conference finals, I believe, Mm -hmm. where where he hurt his hip. And then after that point, he did not look as fluid from a movement stand standpoint and Danny Green already did not look as, <laughs> as fluid, right? And so it's like when you've got one of those old cars that's not running very well already, and yeah. then suddenly one of the spark plugs goes out, you're sort of just like, oh well, my check engine light is yeah. cutting off. Oh, regardless, oh, you don't need you don't need the check engine light. You know, with how yeah. it would drive it, it would run in it. Yeah. It, so, but. Every single time there was an extended stretch where Danny Green started to look not as not as Danny Green like from his historical perspective of, of how we viewed him. He would have one of those nights, Pete, where it's just like, oh, look, Danny Green went three for six from three. Or he went, you, you know, or he only took five shots, but all of them were from three, and he hit three of them, or he hit two of them. And and the ones that he missed were front rim or back rim. He always had a hold of the rope, it felt like. Now, in the finals and late in the conference finals, that ended up not being as true. And, and, that's, and it's more than fair to point that out. Guys go through stretches where they don't play, play as well. But I felt like, despite the Twitter rhetoric that was out there, right, and like the stupid threats and things that people were saying online about him, which we're not going to make fun of at this point or make light of, that Danny Green was a reliable player who had gravity, who defenses respected enough to close out on, and that mattered. Wes has not reached that level with the Lakers this year that Danny Green what operated pretty consistently at all regular season last season. We can argue about the playoffs, but during the regular season, Green was a reputable shooter for, for this team. And if the Lakers don't have a replacement for that player, then that's a problem for them, especially when you forecast going into the playoffs where at least you could forecast Danny Green in a way where you thought he was going to be reliable enough. Right. It turns out during the playoffs, KCP passed him in terms of being a reliable shooter. And so it's why from a big picture perspective and what concerns are, I would have shooting right near the top of that list. Like, are the Lakers going to be good enough shooters? And as much as that was a thing last year that got blown out of the water by the time that the Lakers were holding up the Larry O'Brien trophy this year, it feels a little bit more. I don't know, real to me that those concerns have some validity to them. Mike, are we too far out there now? Like, do you feel like this is an analog to last year? It's just like, ah, they'll have it when they have it. Or does the shooting concern and Wes sort of being the face of that matter? more no, the, I, I just can't I can't get myself there uh, to be really concerned about the shooting you have LeBron and AD 
you're going to get open shots. You just are. They're going to play in games that matter 35 to 40 minutes. Now, if, if the first concerns that we mentioned and that you're not healthy and that one of those guys aren't themselves, then then all of those other things come up. But like game six of the finals, the Lakers made 11 threes. Uh, I mean, it, you know, they three point shooting was not that big of a thing in the postseason compared to what it's talked about in the regular season. I don't think it will be again. Defenses have not been very good league wide this year. Three point shooting is up. Defenses will be good in the postseason. Three-point shooting will go down some. So I, it, to me, it's a lesser thing. I mean, uh, Kuzma played 22 minutes in game six. Uh, you mentioned Danny Green. He played 25. Uh, you know, Markeith Morris played 17. I'm comfortable Kevin Kuz play 30 or 35 in a game that's matter, that matters in, in that context. So that I, I don't mean to be dismissive of the shooting, but like they have guys out there, whether it's Caruso or KCP um, or Kuzma or, or Schroeder uh, alongside LeBron and AD, where I think the shooting will be fine. Can I try to tie this back into something then, which is another one of my big, big picture concerns. Um, and let me drive the bus for a second. One of the reasons why I think shooting may be of more importance this year is let's talk about the defense a little bit, Pete. And let's talk about interior defense, especially, but also the perception of, of what this defense is versus what they actually are and where those things diverge a little bit. The Lakers have the best defensive rating in the league, but it's at like over 105, mm-hmm. I think at this point last year, the Bucks around this same part of the season, they were the best defense in the league. And it was like around a hundred or 99 something. Mm-hmm. And, and so like Mike was saying, offenses are up, defenses are down overall this season. And one of the things, one of the reasons why I think the Lakers shooting fluctuations mattered less last season is because their defense was m- more disruptive to the eye test last season than it is this season now if you look up at the leaderboards the lakers are still at the top of the league in block shots per game right and they i haven't looked at the stats for deflections and steals but i think they do okay in those areas as well but the lakers are down some this year in terms of fast break frequency compared to where they were last year and some of that is going to be related to defense right? Because I feel like when the Lakers actually get a live ball turnover, they are as committed as ever to getting out in, in transition. But I feel like they're not getting as many of those this season. And that then requires you to be more effective as a half court offense, which then elevates the need for shooting to be a little bit better. So I think these things are sort of related here to me. Um, You're nodding your head a little bit. Talk to me some about how you see the connectivity between these, these things all coming to a head potentially. I think that we've seen great defense from the Lakers in flashes. And I think that that is, Perhaps it's just a matter of expectation, but in this first act of the the three-act play on the quick turnaround, I didn't expect them to be flying around all over the place in on a 48-minute-per-night basis. But we've shut some very good offenses. We've shut their water off when we've locked in and 
this team is technically better defensively than last season's team, which is a really high compliment. We've we're better perimeter defenders uh, in certain aspects, right? Danny Green was a great physical defender who could funnel into, and in some ways. Dennis Schroeder is a more appropriate defender for the talent that we have now. And Danny Green was more appropriate for there's that play in the, in the playoffs, in the finals where uh, Danny is putting back pressure on Goran Dragic and he has to lean forward a little bit. And AD gets the SWAT right there as a result of that, that funneling Danny Green's great at that. He's one of the biggest twos in the NBA, the ability to play ball denial, to play ball pressure, to rotate and close out. Schroeder's closeouts are remarkable. This team's remarkable on its closeouts. And we are, at its nature, we're different than last season's team. And I think, but I think that the bump in the higher, you know, number, the 105 versus 100, is a result of it not being that all of the time and we're less equipped to not be locked in defensively than we were last season. Right. Meaning that if we aren't on our a game, if we aren't focused, that's going to give up dribble penetration. Somebody's going to miscommunicate. There aren't as many mistake erasers that's on right. the back end, especially in the absence of a really athletic Anthony Davis. What have you seen on you? See, I think you're more skeptical about the defense than especially the perimeter defense. I'm really high on it. I'd love to hear your, your skepticism on our perimeter defense. I, I, I don't want to say I'm as skeptical about the perimeter defense because I think when you have Schroeder and you have LeBron James and I think when KCP has his full legs and then you have Alex Caruso, right? Like LeBron, AD can switch out. Like I think their perimeter defense is is fine and at its best can be devastating, right? And so... To me, though, there's always a connectivity like basketball, like any other flow sport, right? You're talking soccer, you're talking um, hockey, hockey, right? Where the transition within possessions on either offense or defense and then how they flow between those those two. There's always a connectivity between things and why one thing being weaker potentially amplifies the want to attack mm-hmm. from a certain spot in order to then try to exploit where something is weaker. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you talked about last season, the Lakers defense being geared towards a certain thing, guys who are going to funnel, who are sort of big physical players who can influence the direction that you drive and can bump you off of spots in order to get you to a big man who is going to contest that, right? And this year's team being more technically sound, but it can also be devastating on the perimeter as well. I think one of the things that offenses are doing this season is they are saying, I know this is your strength, your perimeter defense, but your weakness is rim protection. Your weakness is the ability to thwart us if we get past this first line of defense. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Lakers now, even though it's their strength, are facing more pressure against that strength than they faced last season based off of the lack of interior presence that acts as a deterrent, if that makes sense. And that's where I see that connectivity coming into play. And so it's not that I don't think their perimeter defense is as 
is as good as it was last season or even better. I do think, though, that the weaknesses in the interior part of their defense means that those guys on the perimeter are going to get tested more and more and more each game and in different ways that allows them to get beat more just because guys are going at them in more of a variety of ways in order to try to unlock that first piece of the puzzle in order to penetrate the team's defense, if that makes sense to you. It, it does. And I, I try to think of the different types of players that we thrive against or the types of players that we are weakest against in this whole framework. And it's been those bigger wings that can handle the ball. Now that's the entire league, right? And that's also highest levels of basketball, right? We talk your Kawhi Leonard's, your Kevin Durant's, the, the places and parts of the playoffs that we want to get to again, uh, will almost certainly feature Jimmy Butler, right? Those types of guys. And, and so that will matter. The one thing I'd push back on is that it's our perimeter defense in conjunction with our rotations in that a lot of times so teams are running a lot of double drag screens uh, against us in part to puncture that really elite perimeter defense because what's waiting behind it is not as elite, right? And uh, I think we're going to have to wait to get into Trez because I think that's a longer conversation for sure. Uh, but they're they're running different ways of, of, of trying to do that. And in the NBA, when an offensive team creates advantage, it's very difficult to erase that advantage, to make that go away on the defensive end. It's the best most teams can do is either you're giving up a wide open shot or a lightly contested three, right? To well, maybe a shooter that's not a sniper, right? And, and a lot of times that's good enough. This was the strength of last year's Lakers defense, as far as I'm concerned. Remember, during the playoffs last year, I thought one of the most impressive things the Lakers defense did was get into scramble situations and then make you reset. Right. 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 And, but I've seen that with this team, too. This team has that like in, in spades, man, like where they're rotating over and then it's like, oh, there's eight seconds left and somebody's pulling back their dribble and then calling for that ball screen at the end of a shot clock situation. And this is where missing Anthony Davis to me is like the biggest sure. thing in the world. Right. Because he is the plumber. When you talk about shutting the faucet off, he's not doing it at the faucet. He's going to the freaking street and cutting off the water supply to the house. <laughs> right. Like, like yes. it's it's a different level of ability to shut down a defensive possession and him not being at his best, even when he was, quote unquote, healthy, which I don't necessarily think that's been he most of the year. Point. Yeah. Right. That when he's at his best, he can do that at all three levels of the court. Right. Like he would block mid range jumpers from a drop coverage just as effectively as he would deter a drive on the perimeter, just as much as he would block or alter a shot at the rim in the restricted area. And he could do all of those things in a single possession, right? He could get you off of a three point shot by closing out. He could then contain the dribble and make you kick, kick it back out. They would then put him into a ball screen and he could be in drop. And then if you attack him, he could block that shot. Or if you pull up and shoot the mid range, he could alter that, right? Or he could just switch outright and shut you down if you were a ball handler. And that ability that AD has when he's at his best is why, if you go back to when we started the second half of this pod, 
why I think our biggest concern is really that aspect of things, more so than any sort of X's and O's logistical That's answer. Right. Like if I was going to channel Mike here, I would say, yeah, well, it goes back to AD and LeBron, right? Because those guys are the ultimate people who are going to get out on the perimeter while also still having that keymaker identity, right? To be able to then shut you down and shape shift and protect the rim as well. And, and that ability there is something a lot of teams just can't boast those same things, right? Like they just don't have that in their two elite superstar players. That's right. And I'm looking forward to seeing that being paired with a lot of what we've worked on in our practices this season in, yeah. in mid game, right? That you I mean think quarter one and quarter two. That's what that's you right. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, I'm looking forward to see how those things start to get married in the second act of the three act play that I think we're going through. So um, we're running a little long. I think Trez, I would love to have like a whole segment on Trez. We need to have a whole segment on Trez, uh, but that'll be on, on the next pod. Let's let's wrap this up. You got any closing thoughts? No, I think that Trez is an important piece of this puzzle and um the discrepancy between what he can bring offensively and how from an action speak louder than words sort sort of thing he is treated defensively mm-hmm. based out based on the doling out of playing time mm-hmm. by his head coach there's a bigger discussion to be had about the utility of him moving forward, not because of how good a player he is or isn't, but based off of the dynamics of this specific team and what's needed. And I'll leave it there because I think that's a nice tease for, for the context of what our conversation about Trez will look like. Yeah. We're going to have that conversation soon. Um, we, we, Maybe taking the first part of next week off with the the All Star break, get a little bit of R and R. That's not decided yet, so we'll we'll see. We'll talk to the guys. Um, but got uh, you know a few days off at the at the All Star break. Been a very interesting and informative first half. This was a lot of fun recording this with you guys. Uh, but we'll be back soon. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. 
Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.